Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. Give you a minute or two to finish getting your donuts and your caffeine. Uh, Pastor Grady is going to be uh, uh, teaching our session for today. Uh, so we are working on Professor Moorcourt's The Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People. So we've kind of publicized that. You can order it digitally. You can order a copy. If you need help with that, uh, swing by the church office or email one of us, Yahoo's, and uh, we'll get that taken care of for you. I did while he's getting his computer <laughs> set up and throwing wires. Okay, yeah, you were untying it. Got it. Um, it's kind of a Laurel and Hardy situation with you and me. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> Which one is the big guy? That's a good question. Um, I wanted to just briefly explain, um, and, and we, we had a little post on Facebook. I'm not sure if we emailed it out. Uh, we're, we're trying to do a little bit more with communication stuff at the church office, so let us know what you like or what you don't like um, and what would be helpful uh, for keeping everybody in the loop. But we are now in what's known as the Jesima Sunday. So this is the pre-Lenten season, uh, which historically is the way uh, the church from, boy, it probably would be 5th, 4th, 5th, 6th century, I got to go back and check a couple of books when they kind of started observing um, some of these uh, settings. So it, it wasn't really for us until 1960s, 1970s after Vatican II that our whole, everything changed. So the Roman Catholics adjusted the church year uh, and changed the lectionary and then everybody else kind of followed suit. And that's kind of how that happened in, in a very simple way. Um, and then there's, again, there's nothing wrong with, with three-year lectionary or not doing a pre-Lenten season, um, but we wanted to at least expose and teach to you some of what's out there, okay? So most of us growing up, if you were, you were born early 70s, 60s on back, you'd be familiar with pre-Lent and Jesima Sundays because that's all we had. Uh, that was the normal time. So pre-Lent, it's not Lent yet. Uh, and so one of the things that we are not doing yet is we are not removing Alleluia's. Some churches that follow the historic one-year lectionary pack away Alleluia's on Transfiguration. And Pastor Grady and I thought that would be a, a little too much for you this first year. We'll probably do that next year. Uh, and we also wanted to make sure we didn't spring too much on our musicians and organists uh, and have some proper planning there. So we're going to say farewell to Alleluia's uh, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday. But you've already noticed a few changes for your early service people and late service people. Just pay attention to it. A discerning eye will see some of the differences. So instead of an Alleluia verse, we have a tract, which is just a portion from the Psalms. Uh, and there's a few other little things. And then during Lent, one of the things that you will especially notice once we get into the penitential season, um, I don't chant at all during the Lenten season. Um, and so not only do you see some things that are different, but you also hear some things uh, just a little more reserved. The intro it, instead of singing it, we'll speak it responsively. Just little things like that. And then we, we, we kind of refrain from some of that, and that's part of our Lenten discipline. And then all, on Easter Sunday, right? It, it's just hallelujah, right? I mean, it's just, just amazing. So... And we'll be talking with the Altar Guild a little bit. Um, somebody asked me a few things if, uh, you know, if we, we made a big difference, you know, for what we do in church. And um, I'm not going to spoil some of uh, what we might do. It's kind of exciting. But anyway, is that enough? That's enough. I'm taking up your, your time now. You're fine. Okay. Have fun. I'm going to go have a donut. Do that. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father. 
You have given us your word and your son come to earth that we might know you and you reveal yourself to us. Your grace, your saving grace that, that you love all your creation, especially those people that you have created in this earth above all other creatures. We give thanks, we listen, help us to understand, help us and give us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, I, I don't have a personal scribe uh, and uh, someone to, you know, run tech for me. So Pastor McKay is very lucky in that way, so he can get a little more flamboyant with things up here than I will. But he did offer this morning. It was good. Uh, but no. Um, so just, a, I guess, a quick background the past couple weeks. Um, in this book, we discussed uh, Scripture's real theme. You know, Jesus also becomes the key for its proper understanding, uh, because without Jesus, you know, all Scripture points to him. Um, that we as Christians belong to Christ uh, through who he came in grace and truth. Uh, Christ alone is the head of his bride, that is a church, and all of us in it. Um, the, uh, that Christ himself wrote nothing down. He left that to his apostles uh, who were sent out. And that uh, is some of what you know, we've talked about in the past couple of weeks. Um, the, uh, da, 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 let's see, where, what do I have on here? And, and this kind of becomes the, the classic proof text on Scripture that we talked about, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Um, it's, uh, according to Holy Scripture, testimony uh, to itself is God's own very word. Teaching, message, and truth. Scripture does not merely contain the divine word, and this is, this is what spend a lot of time with confirmation students on, it is God's Word. It doesn't, you know, you just don't pick up the Bible and go, well, it has God's Word in it. No, the whole thing is God's Word. And Christ is in it from beginning to end. He's there in Genesis, uh, at creation, and all through it. So uh, the whole thing speaks to uh, who our relationship to God through Christ. Um, the, uh, it says here, nor does it become that word when conditions are favorable. Uh, it is itself God's word. So rationalism creeps in when people want to start saying, well, yeah, no. Um, the whole creation thing in eight days. I mean, how could that be? We know so much with science and with technology and, and uh, you know, just not possible. So, but God's word said it was eight days. Who are you going to believe? And what other part do you want to pick apart and throw out because you don't agree with it or it doesn't agree with your mind or, or with what science seems to think? Um, if you've ever had the chance, and I know we took a group down a bunch of years ago and we had the bus, that was fun, um, to the Creation Museum down near Covington. How many of you have been there? Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's run by, uh, was started by Ken Ham, I think, uh, Answers in Genesis. And, you know, you want to go see some stuff on, you know, how the Grand Canyon and other things literally could have happened in days or hours versus millennia, as some teach. 
it's a great place to go. And we probably ought to take our confirmation kids again and some of the high school kids and run them through it. Um, they also have an ark built down there now in Kentucky about, uh, I'm going to say, 20 minutes away uh, that you can go. And there is a life-size ark built um, that you can go through and tour and see according to you know, what's gleaned from Scripture, how they may have lived in that. Um, but the, the Creation Museum is very interesting in the sense that, uh, you know, God says, and this is how it's possible. Um, so, the, uh, but, <clears throat> you have to excuse me, I'm a note person, and I'm not a note person. Um, next. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Um, the uh, Word of God, we say, is uh, inspired. Uh, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit for the prophets, for the, uh, the apostles to write down what they experienced as they followed Christ on this earth. Um, inspiration varies a great deal from being inspiring. And a lot of people want to find Scripture inspiring and do, but that's not the same thing as being inspired. And inspired by God means that God gave these men uh, what He wanted them to write through the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not like they were machines or in some trance or something like that. They wrote according to what they had seen. They wrote according to their level of skill. Uh, take that as you will for this Bible study. Pastor McKay has a different skill level than me, <laughs> and I have a different skill level than him. But thanks be to God, something, somebody will hear something I say and get something out of it, and they'll hear things he says and get things out of it. Just and that's because kind of, I look goofier than you. You look... <laughs> Probably not. Um, the, uh, but the apostles also wrote for different audiences, too. So, uh, you know, Paul was more to a Gentile audience than, say, uh, oh, who do I want to say? Uh, Matthew? I don't know. It was more, more to, to the um, Jewish audience. So, uh, there, there's some differences that way, too. Um, but it, all of it was God's Word recorded by these apostles. Um, the, uh, oh, there's a bunch of things there. I guess it says the church had to coin terms like plenary inspiration versus verbal inspiration. It says the first means that inspiration is full uh, or comprehensive, and the second, that it embraces the very words of a text. Neither goes one whit beyond what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, which we back up, I think, was the last one I had, and that is that uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Um, if all Scripture is inspired, then inspiration is plenary, beginning, it comes from God. Since all Scripture contains the uh, uh, since all Scripture consists of words, inspiration is necessarily verbal. If Holy Scripture is not inspired plenarily and verbally, then it is not inspired at all. To call it inspired, nevertheless, is then to exploit the hallowed emotional 
connotations of the word inspiration while shirking all intellectual responsibility. What am I reading? I don't know. Uh, if, if you don't believe that it's inspired, um, what's the point? Because if God didn't give it, um, it, it, it it's, it's pointless. The, uh, it says here, an inspiration uh, divorced from inerrancy is as incoherent a notion as bread without nourishment or money without value. It's play inspiration made up by play theology, which has as much to do with the real thing as Monopoly game has to do with the Federal Reserve Bank. <clears throat> so it should be clear that the inspiration and inerrancy go together. If the Bible is inspired, then it is God's word. If it's God's word, then it must correct us and not we it. Um, so inerrancy means that there, there's just no errors anywhere in the Bible. Uh, we may want to find them, but who, <clears throat> let's see, who was it? Uh, I did not have this class up in Fort Wayne, but uh, first-year seminary students up there did with, uh, I guess, I want, maybe it was Roland Ziegler. It may have been Dr. David Scare, but uh, his class was centered on finding errors in the Bible. And they would have to come up and find errors. And he's like, no, that's not an error. <laughs> and he would point him back in the direction. And they, they, I guess they had a lot of fun with it. It probably just would have confused the dickens out of me. But um, <clears throat> I'm like, just give me the facts, please. Uh, anyway, if it's God's word, then it must correct us and not we it. And that's where a lot of people get off the rails they want to find what they think is wrong with God's Word, and um, you can come up with all the possible ways in your mind people do that. They want to, um, I mean, well, go to the big one, homosexuality or abortion or those things. They just don't want to see any error, you know. Uh, they, they want to believe what it says, <clears throat> and uh, they make it what they want it to, what they want to believe. <clears throat> so they ignore uh, or make it up as they go. Um, let's see. So what does the Bible say about its own truth? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the words of the Lord are pure, like words we read this one. Um, the sum of your word is truth, Psalm 119, 160. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So it's true and it's timeless. God's word is. It's, it's, we can't look at it and say, gee, we know so much more now than they knew then, so we got to rewrite and redo. God's word is as valid today as it was when it was written in the Old Testament. Um, John 17, 7. Now they know that everything, um, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Um, Jesus prays this in John 17 in his high priestly prayer where he's praying for all believers uh, and gives thanks to God that he has given his church to him, but he also prays for it to be strengthened in, in all times and until eternity when it comes. Um, but he prays that uh, everything, that now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Um, the, um, another one, 
But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Um, at the bottom of that, you see Dr. David Scare's favorite text to gently encourage seminarians to study Holy Scripture. Um, he, he was always saying this in class. You know, someone would come up with an answer and he'd go, no, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Um, <laughs> sad part is it was true. Um, and uh, um, when you really think about it, it's true for all of us. It's hard for us to fully understand Scripture um, and get it into our thick noggins because the devil's always prowling around wanting to tell us, you know, no, that's not quite right. I mean, that's how he started the whole mess in the Garden of Eden. You know, did God really say what he said to Eve? And he continues to do that. Um, so it, re it really is a good warning. Jesus was telling this to the uh, Pharisees um, when they were asking things of him. And he's like, no, you, you just don't understand um, the, uh, let's see, I don't know how I jumped from there to there. Anyway, um, so it's important that we understand those things. You are your, you are, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is where, well, that's not true. That's not what Jesus said. Everybody okay, I hope. Um, <clears throat> but to those who want to take Scripture and twist it, um, here he was uh, speaking, uh, he was speaking again to the Pharisees, very... Uh, I guess you might say roughly and truly, uh, but he's telling them that they, you know, their, their father's the devil, not, not God, um, because of what they believe or what they don't believe, that they don't believe and can't see Christ. Um, so, okay. So there's no truth in the devil. Um, there's only truth in the Bible. Another one showing where truth is not. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Um, this one goes on. Therefore God sent them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That, that God sends them a strong delusion. Um, <clears throat> boy, is that, does that saying God condemns them? Because God condemns nobody. But he will give people over to the desires of their heart that are apart from him. Um, he will give people over into sin. You know, uh, he warns continually. Conti my microphone is going everywhere it shouldn't go. He warns, he warns us continuously in Scripture, um, you know, that we should seek him. But when people just constantly turn away and, you know, nope, don't want to hear it, don't, 
God will give them over to their evil desires. Um, and I mean, this is a story in the Old Testament just all through time when he gave the Jews over to what they wanted. Um, they did not want to follow. And so he's like, fine, go worship the other idols, do what you want. You're stinking up the place and your day's coming. And for them, it was exile and Babylon and death. And the same thing in the wilderness when the, all those that left um, Egypt in an adult age died in the wilderness. And it was the younger ones who came up and they entered paradise. Um, so God will allow people to run amok. We have free will in that sense. We have a free will to sin. It's what we're born with. Um, but God changes us through baptism, makes us his own, and gives us another will, and that's to follow him. And there's that constant back and forth between wanting to do what our evil nature, sinful nature wants to do, and wanting to do what God wants us to do. Um, so, <clears throat> he will give us over. Um, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through uh, sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it is God's gift to us that we can believe in Him and trust in Him, um, trust in His truth. Uh, let's see. This is a continuation of that verse. To this He called you through, your, uh, through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And here again, um, it's called through the gospel of truth and to hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, by the apostles, either by our spoken word uh, or by letter that they received. So those letters becoming scripture. Um, Let's see. First John 2, 21, 23. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Um, and this, we get into those who deny Christ. Uh, but Mormon church, I came by there this morning, uh, early, dark, and it's just lit up, and it's beautiful. And you, you would just, I mean, people would have to drive by there. I'd like to keep this place lit up all night, but I think these guys wouldn't like it so much when the trees aren't out because the floodlights get pretty crazy. So we keep more lights for security. But they're lit up, and they have these, you know, different sort of, color lights that light these columns and brighter lights here and lights all in the park. And it, it's truly a magnificent building. And um, you could see how people would look at that. I want to know what that's about because that's really something. But then they got the very top, what, the uh, Angel Moroni up there, Moroni Baloney. And um, <laughs> the, the fact is they don't have Christ. You know, they have a Jesus, but he's not the Christ. He's, uh, what, an, um, 
another angel and a prophet and you know whatnot. And 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 the whole greatest fallacy of the whole thing is you too can be a Jesus and have your own planet. And you know, some no. That's not that's not what heaven is. That's not the plan that God has given in his word in the Bible. Um, so it's the Antichrist. And that's a pretty hard uh, thing to say to your neighbor, uh, you know, when you're, you're, well, that's the case we had, Natalie's uh, best friend in, what was it, third, f- no, fifth grade, little Mormon girl, you know, and I always want to invite her over for Saturday for, I don't know, game day or whatever it was, and, and that's a Mormon thing. They have this Saturday family time, and, you know, they invite people over, and I'm like, Natalie, you know, you can go, but, you know, know this. And she's like, I know, I know. I'm like, okay, you know, Christ is it. And whatever they're talking about, eventually it just got weird and she quit. But um, <clears throat> so they don't have Christ and uh, other uh, religions as well. Um, that is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Um, and you can't deny Christ and his work on the cross and hope for salvation. It's, it's not there in any other way or sense. Um, Psalm 82.6, I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Um, yeah, the, he was speaking of the prophets. And, I mean, we say we are little Christ. You know, we have Christ in us. Um, there, there is some godliness in us in our baptism that God gives. Uh, but we're all going to die because we all have this sinful nature as well. Um, and it's only fulfilled in our resurrection. Um, but we will never be gods in the sense that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are gods. We will adore them. We will be there in glory. But we will not be gods either. Um, the uh, Jesus was talking, he said, if, uh, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, then scripture cannot be broken. Um, they were accusing Jesus because he was saying that he was the son of God and claiming himself to be God. But he goes, God said that, you know, you are small g gods as well. Um, so there was truth there. Uh, he was not denying Scripture in that sense at all. Um, he says, but I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law <clears throat> and written in the prophets. Um, it was Paul speaking uh, when he was accused of, uh, of denying the law and, you know, and he was following the way, which was what Christians were in the early church. Um, but his defense was, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. He just didn't believe that he could get to heaven by keeping the law, which is what they wanted to do. He saw the law as something Christ, uh, as we do, something Christ has kept the law fully for us. So... Let's see. Another thing that people try and confuse is things like these two passages here. Uh, Matthew 27, 37. 
And over his head they put the charge against him, which reads, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Versus Luke records it as, there was also an inscription over him, this is the King of the Jews. Um, which one's right? I don't know. Uh, they're both right. They're just looking at it slightly differently, if you will. The, the truth in the statement is there, but semantically, it's worded differently. Um, why is that? Languages, one writing at a different level, another writing at a, at a lower level, possibly. The um, it, it, attorneys would tell you, you know, or, or judges that when they have witnesses, um, they'll often see things from different angles or perspectives. Um, and that was true of the, of the apostles. You know, they saw Christ in, in different ways. And one records the sign this way, one records the sign the other way. Fact is, the sign said the same thing. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. This is the King of the Jews. Um, so you can't look at things like that and go, well, you know, Scripture doesn't say the same thing everywhere. Uh, it's different. Well, it's a little different, but it speaks the same truth. Uh, the truth does not change of what it says. Um, so the stories tell, us, tell the different thing, different apostles tell things a little bit differently. They line up um, timelines differently uh, in terms of the narrative of Christ's life. Some are trying to bring out certain aspects. They don't record as many of the miracles. Uh, they record them in different order, uh, often to, to fit the, what they were trying to teach in their entire volume. Um, so there are differences like that, and you can't say, well, it's not the same. Uh, if, it's, if it was all to be the same, they all would have recorded verbatim the same thing in four different books, and we'd read them all and go, well, that's really boring. They're all the same. But we have these different views of Jesus' life that we can see. Um, let's see, First Timothy, Timothy 3.16, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, and seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. <clears throat> the, the truth there, I mean, it's, it's the mystery of, of, um, that's in, in John 1, this next one. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, that's the mystery that all Christendom and anybody contemplating it has to deal with. That God would desire to become flesh, enter creation, and dwell among us. And why would that be? Um, you know, to, to save us from our sins. Um, without that, there's no way we could know God and know the grace and mercy He has. He, he placed Himself within this creation so that we could know Him. Um, otherwise, to know and see God is just simply to die. And we will die because of our sin, but we'll see God because of Christ. He has made that 
possible for us in suffering for our sin and being resurrected himself. Um, let's see, where am I? Yeah. I invite questions. I don't know. I, I didn't outline this as well as I would like to. Um, but uh, any thoughts or otherwise? Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that it stays the same, the story doesn't change, um, you know, that it was recorded. Uh, the, the yeah, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the sun. Um, to have seen, you know, a miracle, to have seen and, and walked next to him as he healed people, uh, to see the resurrection, and to see him stand there bodily, eating and drinking with you after you watched him die, um, you know, to see his glory on the cross as he suffered and died, um, and that's recorded. I, it, it, uh, you know, thanks be to God that he gives us the ability to have faith in such a thing. Um, because without it, 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 you could say it makes no sense. It, it's, it's upside down, it's backwards, it's sideways from everything we think that it should be. Because everything in this world says, kind of like Pastor McKay said in his sermon, you know, it's a race and we want to be number one and do the best we can. And there's only one that can be number one. And that's Jesus himself. And he gives that gift to us of being right beside him. That, you know, for his sake, we are one with Christ and one with the Father um, and have eternal life. So that's just, you know, the, the biggest mystery of all, that this glory could come and, and be with us and care for us um, and give us this truth. Um, Anything you want to add? I turned my mic on, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, the concept of, of, of witnessing of what they saw is, is huge. That, that's a really big deal. Um, when you talk about somebody's word, you know, being their bond um, or <clears throat> reputation, uh, eighth commandment, um, I think people back then understood that a little better than we do today. Now with Twitter and Facebook and you know, everybody's got a platform and a forum to say pretty much whatever you want. Um, whereas back then, you know, every matter should be established, truth should be established by two or three witnesses. And so for so many witnesses to come forward and actually see and testify to what was going on with Christ, uh, not only gives further validity to the Word of God uh, in terms of, of what's taking place, um, but that's difficult, I think, for our culture to grasp. So I, I would just resonate with what you said. So that's all. That's all I have. Okay. I'm done. You're done.
well, please don't be, because I'm probably done too. Um, <clears throat> so, the, uh, yeah, ju- I mean, just the, the truth of, of Scripture is, is God has given it to us, um, that it is His Word, uh, and that we can't somehow filter it through our own human sinful natures and say, well, yeah, but, you know, this isn't quite right. Because if you want to start throwing pieces away, um, pretty soon you're going to throw away Christ. You're going to throw away salvation. Uh, you're going to throw away forgiveness of sins. And then you end up in a works righteousness where you got to run the race and you got to finish perfect. And uh, it's not happening. I know it's not happening for me. Uh, you know, so it... Uh, Thanks be to God that uh, Christ has done that work for us. And with that, I'll close. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh to bear our sins to the cross and to rise again. That He took the punishment we deserve. And we give thanks that we will share in His resurrection on the last day and have eternal life together as your people in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.